go and have a great time because you're in Vegas. It's some people's happiest places on earth. Just pace yourself and go have a good time. Hello and welcome back to the Gaming News Canada show presented by Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt LLP. I'm your host, Steve McAllister. We are rejoined on the show this week by Amanda Brewer, the Canadian Country Manager for Kendrick Group, along with Chris Abbott. In case you missed it, we mentioned in the People on the Move section of the newsletter last month that Chris was leaving his role as Canadian Country Manager of Kays and Gaming. Chris wrapped up things this week and is now officially a free agent. Uh, Chris, thanks for coming back. And, and I have no doubt that your free agent status, it'll be very short-lived, let's put it that way. Oh, thanks, Steve. Yeah, we uh, we we parted ways there uh, amicably. Um, nothing but good things to say about the folks at uh, Kaizen Gaming. So, wish them uh, all the best for sure. And then, uh, yeah, there's a, a few irons in the fire, as you may imagine. Yeah, uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. And uh, look forward to, to catching up uh, in person with with both yourself and uh, Amanda at uh, the Global Gaming Expo next week. And um, that that's a nice segue to uh, we're going to devote a fair. Uh, fair amount of the show today on LinkedIn Audio to uh, to a couple of events, beginning with, with G2A that that starts Monday, although as Amanda mentioned off uh, b- before we started the show, that there's a, you know, a number of pre-G2E events that are taking place this weekend, and I know GeoComply is doing a Challenger Series event on, on uh, Sunday afternoon in Vegas. Um, CDC Gaming Reports has a reception on, on Sunday night. Uh, I'm sure Amanda will let us know in a minute about a couple of other events and then later in the show we're going to uh we're going to ask amanda chris and, and mark silver from parlay media group for their reaction to the the lead item in in the latest newsletter around the start of the nhl's regular season but amanda i want to start with you and, and g2e um obviously one of the biggest conferences of the of the year there always seems to be a lot of excitement within the industry and it was quite the spectacle for for me to attend as a first uh, a first timer last year any sense from you just look having had a chance to look at the agenda and, and look at the week anything that kind of excites you or you you see as being new to the conference Uh, I'm not so sure about new. I think I just am thrilled to see it's jam-packed as usual. Um, The news releases from a lot of the manufacturers and suppliers to the industry have started coming out. So new products, you know, will be launched. And, you know, a lot of meetings, I know I have a lot of supplier meetings that have been booked. So I think it's just the usual excitement of, you know, being able to see people you haven't seen in a while. Um, G2E is one of the flagship events, certainly in this industry. And I think it's a testament, you know, just plugging my own panel, um, it's a testament to how important Ontario has become as a market because, um, you know, Martha Otten and the new CEO of the AGCO, Dr. Karen Schnarr, um, have, a, have a panel that they're going to be on and, you know, talking about what's happened in Ontario, what's next in Ontario and what may be next, you know, down the road uh, in the rest of Canada. So I think that's been a really nice uh you know, just nice progression of, of Ontario being able to kind of edge in there with some of the usual jurisdictions that get a lot of the focus, that pull a lot of the focus when we're down at G2E. Yeah, and I, I can't wait for that panel on, on Monday afternoon, uh, Amanda, and, and a couple of things to, to note. And, and one, and, and I always feel a bit sheepish about mentioning that, but I, I think I have to, and that's the fact that it is an all-female panel. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I wish we'd be at the point now where you don't even have to mention that, but I, I think, I think we, we still are. 
Um, but just the voices for that panel representing different segments of the industry, obviously yourself, and it'll be the first time that we, we have a chance to hear from Dr. Karen Schnarr, the new CEO and registrar uh, of the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario. Uh, Martha Otten from, from iGaming Ontario is going to be there as well, along with uh, Shelley White from the Responsible Gambling Council and Chantel Cipriano, the, uh, the head of compliance for, for Points Bet Canada. So, Man, I think it's it's a it's a panel that has um, uh, different experiences or different roles in in the industry, and uh, you know I think maybe if a few you know voices that we don't hear as much as we we might like to or as often as we should about what's going on in the industry. So I I think it'll be a dynamite panel. Well, thanks for thanks for saying that. Um, yeah, I mean we'll see how well attended it is. You need a special conference pass for uh, the Monday sessions. They're not free and you can't just buy a one-off pass, unfortunately. Um, so we'll see. But it was, you know, as I say, an honor to be nominated. <laughs> it was an honor to be asked to to participate. And certainly, you know, it's, I, you know, the first time in my career where there's been a female head of the AGCO. So in these very early days of uh, Karen's tenure as the registrar, um, I'm really looking forward to what she has to say. She's the moderator for the panel. She's not, she's not a panelist, um, but just looking forward to sort of, you know, any remarks she makes. And in my pre-meet with her last week with the rest of the panelists, um, she did say her, uh, her agenda was quite full. So lots of people reaching out to book time with her while she's down there. Hey, Chris, you know, given your, your situation right now, I mean, is, is it, uh, is it a little different approach for you going to G2E? Is this is this uh, a, a case where you know you won't, you don't have to worry about having a bunch of meetings locked in, and it may give you the freedom to do some things that you you haven't been able to do at past conferences? Yeah, there's certainly a, certainly a level of freedom there. I mean, um, in previous uh, roles, you know, in running a booth and and accepting people coming through and asking about the B2B tech at the time with with GAN and Coolbed and, and otherwise, you know, seeking out whether it be payment providers or KYC providers or cloud providers or what have you. So yeah, it's a little, it'll be a little more networking for me. Um, I'm actually quite looking forward to it. Um, it's not often that you have the kind of, that kind of freedom and, and uh, kind of running on your own schedule. So I think it'll be a, a great opportunity for me personally, but you know, to echo what Amanda was saying earlier, there's, there's a, a, a huge roster of, of companies, of individuals, and and all the movers and shakers from said companies should be on premise. And um, you know, it's as far as as far as the industry goes in North America. I think it's um, you know it's it's right up there, top one or two events that that happen each year. Uh, we interviewed uh, Maureen Bettis from the American Gaming Association for for another episode of the of the podcast to to help us uh, tee up. Uh, uh, G2E. The, the one question, Amanda, I, I, I did ask Maureen was just the evolution of the conference. And, and given, uh, you know, I think we're five years now post, post PASPA and, uh, you know, with about 37, 38 states across the U.S. now with, uh, with legal sports betting that I asked her if there maybe was more of a sports betting influence now with, the, uh, with G2E, whether it's you know, with regards to panels or, or booths or or whatever, but when you also look at the agenda, and we've talked about this on on the show this year, is that um, you know the push for eye, regulated eye gaming in more states across the U.S. that continues to be a hot put button issue, and that's reflected in the uh, in the agenda as well. 
Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And I think that that's going to be an ongoing focus uh, for many of the jurisdictions that have allowed sports betting is getting the casino side of it sort of caught up to it so it can have a full product offering available. Um, so I expect to see that being a, you know, a, a key focus for G2E just in terms of their, their speakers going forward. But the thing, like I've been coming to G2E for oh, 12 years now, I want to say. Um, and the thing about it is it's really well attended by the Canadians. Um, you know, in the past, you, you do get some Europeans that come over, some South Americans that also come up, but it's really an opportunity for the lottery corporations um, you know, regulators, you know, people who work in the industry to come down. Um, so we do, you know, Canadians are very well represented at G2E, but also because it's in Vegas and Vegas um, is kind of the epicenter of all kinds of gambling in North America, you have a ton of the manufacturers who set up really big footprints in the Expo Hall. And all of them, you know, with very few exceptions are very multi-channel in terms of what they provide. So in addition to the electronic gaming cabinets that you would see on a casino floor, they're also providing digital content to online operators. They're also providing game studios to design new games. They're also providing payment solutions, other fintech solutions, loyalty products. So even though you might, you know, head into the expo hall and you're looking at an aristocrat or an IGT or an every sign and all you see are the, you know, slot cabinets, don't be fooled. You know, they're, they're, they've got tons of different channels and tons of different product lines that they're offering now. So I see it too as being the evolution of some of these, what used to be traditional land-based suppliers that over the last you know, decade and more have really kind of tapped into what's going on first in Europe and now in North America with online gaming, and they've just expanded their product market. Yeah, I was going to mention too, Amanda, something that I did do in the Tuesday newsletter is we we did uh, we did flag a lot of the panel discussions that are, are going to happen, and and again uh, I mentioned this to Maureen uh, Bettis from the AGA is, is kudos to the the folks involved with the uh, Global Gaming Expo website because it, it is. So accessible and and uh, handy in terms of of you know booking booking panel discussions on your calendars, giving you information about the the panels and who's on them, and uh, you know uh, as you mentioned, there's obviously a significant Canadian contingent that's going to be in Vegas and are going to be participating in those panels. Uh, uh, Michael Wall, a professor at Carleton University, is going to be sitting on a panel talking about the future of responsible gambling and. Uh, Lindsay Slater from GeoComply, she's she's involved in a KYC panel discussion. Um, Jennifer Shatley, who consults for the uh, Responsible Gambling Council, she's going to be uh, on another uh, uh, separate panel on, on responsible gambling on on Wednesday. And then again, just some you know keynote speakers. Uh, it was funny last year; it was kind of fun to watch uh, Contessa Brewer from CNBC interview. FanDuel uh, CEO Amy Howe and, and DraftKings um, CEO Jason Robbins and having those two people on on stage together and and there was a bit of fun with that and they're bringing back both Jason and, and Amy for that discussion again on on the Wednesday morning. Um, but Chris, I just, I just you know curious. I mean, obviously doing what I do with the Gaming News Canada, I'm trying to get as to many panels as possible. But I'll, I'll ask both you and Amanda this question just. 
you know, where, where do those panel discussions fit with your schedule for the conference? And is there any advice you would give the, give the people who, you know, are now in your shoes who are maybe going to G2E for the first time when it comes to those education sessions? Yeah. I mean, I think any time that you can listen to somebody who has experience in really any role that, that you're personally inexperienced in is an opportunity to learn. You know, I had a conversation the other day and somebody was asking me about getting into this industry. And to my knowledge, there's still no bachelor of, you know, online casino management or anything that you can, you can take at a local university, although it's probably starting to, starting to pop up, but this is the best form of education for anybody. And, um, you know, whether you're been in the industry, you know, as long as Amanda has as a, a veteran or someone like myself, who's kind of, kind of mid-level five, six years in, then I think, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity just to get uh, varied perspectives from the panel. So take it all in. I mean, um, it, it's very rare that you get all these people kind of at your fingertips. And, and, you know, if you're, if you're really, um, you know, outgoing, maybe grab one of the panelists on their way off the stage and just grab a couple of seconds or whatever, and, and maybe ask a follow-up question there. But it, it's such a good opportunity just to, to get FaceTime with people and, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't recommend it more. Would you like to add to that, Amanda? Yeah, I agree with what Chris said. I mean, you can certainly get a lot of value out of conferences like G2E without having to attend the panels. And, you know, I'm not trying to <laughs> dissuade anyone from, from getting the education session pass. Um, but, you know, there were years I'd go down and, you know, you can take advantage of free expo hall passes that are available. Um, and there's a ton of networking and the great value in some of these conferences is really the networking. You know, as I was saying, it brings in a lot of the industry. It brings in a lot of customers, suppliers, contacts, industry colleagues. Um, you never know who you're going to bump into, you know, as you're wandering up and down what seems like endless <laughs> aisles and the, on the expo hall or you're just, you know, or, you know, looking in the nooks and crannies where people are having, you know, just conversations. It just is a great place to catch up with people. It's a great place to, as, um, as Chris was saying, to just introduce yourself to people and start having conversations. And it is, it has always been a very invaluable, um, you know, set of days that I've spent down there. I always come back with tons of business cards, a lot of new contacts and, you know, it's a, it's a small world and an even smaller industry. So, you know, you, you never know someone you meet, you know, next week could end up playing, you know, a big role um, in something that you're trying to do next year. You have absolutely no idea, but it's, it's just, you know, people are happy when they're down there. <laughs> people aren't all that stressed while they're down there. So it's just, it's, it's a, it's a great time to, to just, put yourself out there and, you know, introduce yourself to strangers and see where the conversation takes you. I think as someone who still considers myself a bit of a, a novice or newcomer when it comes to attendees conferences, I, I think the one useful lesson I've, I've learned, especially over the past year now, having had a chance to go to a, to a G2E, to, a, to an ICE, and then a, a couple of the SBC events, and of course, the Canadian Gaming Summit is just maybe taking that first day and spend an hour just walking around the venue and seeing the exhibits and getting the the lay of the land and and uh thinking that's maybe not a bad practice chris just uh just because there will be places where you'll say hey you know i, I really want to make sure i get back to that booth on tuesday and see so so and so or um I'm, yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go and spend 20 minutes at the aristocrat uh exhibit at some point because i want to see see their new game so if there's a piece of advice i could give it's, it's just to 
to take a take time on your first day there and just take a walk around and, and get familiar with the surroundings. Yeah, no, I certainly agree with that. I mean, there's there's so, so much to see, as Amanda alluded to, and and the reports I'm seeing, you know, that they're getting back to their their kind of pre-pandemic levels of of people who are coming into town, and at the same time, with the proliferation of our industry, especially in, in the online world, there's more and more suppliers popping up. So. You know, one of the things, and I even found this in New Jersey back in the spring, you know, you, you see these companies that might not be that large or that well-known, but they're offering something innovative. And, you know, when you look at, I'll use the Ontario market as an example, when you have 45, 50, however many competitors we're sitting at right now, um, you need to differentiate yourself. And if, and if you can find a, a B2B supplier or you can find a company that does something that's a little bit innovative that might help you know, make it a little stickier for your customers or be a little bit different than, you know, the big four or five brands here. Uh, it's so valuable. And, and these are great places to find these because because those people are trying to sell um, their product. And uh, it's a great uh, it's a great way for them to be on a level playing field with with some of the really big players in the industry. Yeah, to that point, Amanda, like, is, is that I, I guess he shows you again, because I'm, I'm looking at it from a from my own perspective, I, I kind of it gets lost that this really is a, an incredible sales opportunity if, if you're a supplier or you, or you provide another another service to the gambling industry. Yeah, I mean, it's even like you look at you've pretty much got like three or four nights for all these different entities to throw whatever kind of events that they want in the evenings. And, you know, Tuesday night has always been the supplier dinners with the lottery corporations. Um, and that has been going on for, you know, a very long time. So, you know, you look at the Ontario, BC, Saskatchewan, all the Canadian provinces um, with their land-based casinos, you know, it's a great opportunity to come down and sell. There's also something called pre-G2E that comes on because there's not enough time during G2E to go and have the really deep dives into some of the new technology, you know, whatever improvements they've been making um, for any of the game design, the cabinets, you know, any of it, um, there's not time. There's not time for them to leave the premises and go off to the manufacturer's facility to go kick the tires. So there's pre-G2E that happens ahead of time for all of that so that G2E isn't, you know, is, is more about, you know, other things for them when they come down. So it really is a massive industry machine um, and suppliers, you know, spend a lot of time, um, you know, investing in the booths, the design of the booths, who's in the booths, <laughs> who's talking to customers. Um, and it, it, it is massive in terms of potential revenue generation for, for suppliers. So that's part of the reason they're here and part of the reason they continue to invest in the show. And, you know, I know there have been some grumblings about the cost, but hopefully, you know, seeing how full the exhibit floor is now, um, you know, the suppliers definitely feel it's it's justified or, or, or warranted. These are not cheap conferences to attend, not from a participation uh, point of view or from an exhibitor point of view. They're, they're not cheap. So if you're going down to G2E, it's because there's definite, you know, business opportunities for you, either you're networking or you're trying to find contacts for your company or you're trying to find suppliers for your company or on the other side, you're trying to sell some products and services. So G2E has always been one of those hallmark conferences and there is always a lot of business that gets done. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just going back, Amanda, to your panel for a second on, on Monday, of course, you know, I think we tend to be 
somewhat laser focused with uh with when we talk about the canadian landscape about what you know what happens next after ontario and and uh uh you know what what about alberta what about bc what about what about quebec do you see any uh, any other issues kind of emerged over the past year where maybe you do get more questions now or or there are issues that are raised about the marketplace in canada that go beyond who's next yeah, I you know I wouldn't be surprised if we get some questions about the uh, changes to the advertising and marketing uh, regulations that come out because we still haven't had the clarifying documents uh, have not followed. So I think yeah, I'd be shocked if we didn't get some questions about the restrictions on athletes and celebrities and the rest of it. Um, you know, some of the other stuff is you know I might be curious why there's no you know, mandate for enforcement. Um, it's one of the things that I hope that Dr. Schnarr, as she gets into her job, has an opportunity to address with the Attorney General's office um, about giving the AGCO an actual mandate to enforce, you know, the regulated licensed operators and give them some tools to kick out, you know, the unlicensed operators that are still in Ontario. Um, you know, the issue of liquidity is still unresolved. Again, that's a conversation between the AGCO and the Attorney General uh, for daily fantasy sports, for poker that rely on liquidity. Um, this is still something that has to happen, you know. So I see those as being potentially ones that could get could get asked, you know, on the on the IGO side, that's really kind of not the exciting, you know, stuff. It's like, where's the automated financial reporting? Where's the AML tool? Where's the self-exclusion tool? Right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of automation that was promised to us that still hasn't, hasn't landed. So, but like I said, I'd be shocked if, if any of that stuff comes up, but yeah, pretty sure the uh, restriction on athletes and celebrities is, is, you know, probably good for a question or two. Does anything else come to mind for you, Chris? Yeah, I mean, to your point about people not from Canada, not from Ontario, asking about our, um, you know, emerging or upcoming regulated markets, it's a question I get basically when I talk to anybody from Europe or the U.S. who has has an interest here. So it's certainly on the mind of a lot of folks. I think um, there's a lot of interest in opinion on how things have gone in Ontario for operators in the first year and a half here. Uh, financially, uh, one of the questions that gets asked to me a lot is, yeah, but is it, are, the, are the operators making money? Are they profitable? Um, that's, that's an interesting question I get a lot. I'm like, well, I, I don't know that anyone really planned to be out of the gate, but it's, it's certainly, I think, you know, we're in a, uh, economy right now where there's not a lot of money to burn, um, for a lot of companies, a lot of individuals as well. And I think, um, that's becoming a, a real concern as well. Not only the regulatory environment, but is there money to be made? Is this a good investment for us to make if we go into another province or, or if we enter Ontario, if we're not here already? So I think there's, you know, there's a lot of, um, um, uh, would you call it navel gazing or inward looking to, uh, to try and figure out if it's, if it's the right move or not. So I think there's a, a genuine, genuine interest out there among, um, companies uh, who are not in our marketplace, if it's a good idea. I think that also speaks to uh, Amanda's point too, Chris, the fact that if you're you're spending money to have an exhibit or to have space on the floor next week in Vegas, that that, that there's, you're looking for some return on investment there because it's, it's not cheap. And, and you're right, we are we are kind of at a time where, where companies, I think, are trying to be as 
fiscally prudent as, as possible right now. Well, to, to Chris's, uh, Chris's comment, I mean, the first batch of licenses are for renewal in April, right? So, I mean, watch the space. We've only had a handful exit, um, but we'll have to see. You know, no one is expecting to do much more than break even given, you know, some companies investing more in marketing and sponsorships and all the rest than others. But, you know, no one's coming into a new market like this with what are we 45 operators in this market um, to expect to be, you know, turning profits from the get go, which should not be a realistic expectation. Hey, before we uh, before we move on to another topic, I, I do, again, just to uh, reinforce what Amanda said, if, if again, if you are a newcomer going to G2E next week or even last year, we were still, I kind of felt like we were still in the early stages post, post-pandemic. And in fact, I, I came back from G2E with, with COVID. So, um, you know, I, I think there'll be a, a bigger buzz this year. So Amanda's uh, uh, advice to, to, to make sure you have lots of business cards makes a lot of sense. Um, Amanda also has given us great advance uh, advice in the past about wearing comfortable shoes. And although we we have a we have a chuckle about that, it's, it's so true because you're uh, you're going to be doing an awful lot of, of walking over the the two or three days that you're attending the conference. So that's a really good idea. And and Chris, I, I believe it's you that's given the advice too. Is that uh, and you know, it seems strange coming from you, but I, th- I think there is some advice you've given in the past about pacing yourself. <laughs> yeah, hydrate. I've been I've been drinking as much water as I can this week. But that, that's actually, um, you know, everyone makes jokes about Vegas and, and the partying and whatnot. But um, legitimately, it's hot there. It's still hot. It's still in the mid 30 degrees Celsius uh, for anyone who's traveling. So yeah, you are going to want to hydrate. It's long days, whether you're partying or not, you know, whether you're at the conference or can go into dinners and and, uh, you know, late night social events, even if you're not a drinker, it's, it's, you know, you need to be hydrated, you need to get your rest. Um, and one thing I'd also say, I mentioned the temperatures is, uh, you know, you don't really need to don the three piece suit if you're not the CEO, I think you'll get away with, uh, with something a little more business casual, and you'll be a whole lot more comfortable. Amanda? Uh, yeah, everything still holds true, and uh, I am packing flats alongside my heels so I can switch them out when I need to. Um, and yeah, you have no problem getting your steps in. So if you're someone like me who's used to exercising while I'm at home and I'm not while I'm there, um, if you have your like Apple device that will be counting your steps, you will be shocked at how many you're walking on a day on a daily basis there. Yeah, that's usually the first thing I do, Amanda, when I get back to my hotel at the end of the day is look at look at how many steps I put it put in that day, and it's uh, it's definitely a lot. And Amanda, as you mentioned earlier too, like really take advantage of the networking opportunities, and and just you know if you're not getting if you're not at the play at a point place yet where you're getting invited to events, I mean just on the conference floor, I I've said it in this forum so many times over the over the two plus years that we've been uh, covering the industry is that. There are so many good people in this industry, so don't don't be shy about walking up to somebody at a booth and introducing yourself and handing handing out a business card because uh, people people do like to talk. They're they're very very helpful, and uh, yeah, there is there's there's ac- so much access to so many smart people across the industry. So do take advantage, as Amanda mentioned, that networking opportunity. Um, just from that too, I just want to mention quickly: we made the decision with the newsletter this week to uh, 
to to make our classified jobs information section part of the uh, part of the newsletter now on Thursdays for all of our subscribers. So whether regardless of whether you're you're a paid subscriber or a free subscriber, you get access to that section. Uh, I think we we have more than thirty jobs in in the Thursday newsletter um, with with job postings, and that's that's from the gambling industry, from the sports media industry, from the from the business side of sports and. Uh, so if, again, if you're someone who's relatively new to this industry or you, you want to get into this industry, um, the newsletter provides an awful lot of value, just having that one-stop shopping for, for job postings. Uh, Chris, uh, just any last word just on, on the networking aspect of what I talked about? No, I'd agree with you. I mean, uh, never be afraid to introduce and, and you mentioned walk up to a booth. I mean, that's what those folks are there for. Um, I would say every company, whether they're B2C or B2B, are always looking for good people, um, good people with experience or good junior people. Um, it's it's certainly, I think, the the most key part of the whole conference th- um, setup. I mean, anyone can, can sell a product. You can watch a, a deck and a presentation online, but getting that FaceTime with folks, regardless of what you're doing, whether you're trying to buy, sell, or or just make connections. Um, that's that's the most important part about getting face to face. So, um, yeah, uh, bring your business cards. Uh, some people still use business cards, um, and if you you know if you've got the digital ones, and, and add people on LinkedIn and, and all that stuff, because you never know when a connection like that might come in handy. Last word to you, Amanda. Uh, go and have a great time because you're in Vegas. And it's some people's happiest places on earth. It's not everyone's, but some people's. So hopefully, yeah, just pace yourself and go have a good time. Yeah, sorry, man. I'll, I'll take the last word on this. Uh, again, I'll, uh, if, if you're interested in talking to me about something for, for the, the newsletter or, uh, you know, you're looking, looking to maybe advertise your, your brand uh, up here in Canada, um, Find us next week. Uh, you can send me an email. It's uh, Steve at GamingNewsCanada.ca, and uh, I've already have a few meetings set up with some some people. So I'll always look forward to running into Amanda and Chris. I mean, even though we talk on a on a weekly basis, we it's not very often that we get to spend time face to face. So I'm looking forward to that, but also looking forward to to meeting some new people and and new companies around the industry and finding out uh, what you know what what news happening in the industry right now. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada Show is presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt, LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot forward slash gaming. Now back to the show. I want to just quickly, Amanda and, and Chris, just uh, ask if, if either one of you, if, if you, Amanda, you mentioned earlier the uh, the AGCO uh, rule changes around advertising, and just wonder if you've heard uh, if you've heard anything. It's been it's been pretty quiet. It, it seems uh, you know really since the end of August when the AGCO released those new standards, and they did mention there's going to be a bit of a, a period for feedback, but it's been it's been crickets out there. Yeah, I did talk to Paul Burns uh, late last week uh, and just checked in with him on that too. Um, I, you know, with Karen just starting, 
I don't think that they would feel comfortable rushing anything out until she's had a time or she's had time to, you know, really immerse herself in this and uh, figure out the best way to move forward. I know from the Canadian Gaming Association standpoint, they're hoping that, you know, they can be involved um, in the drafting of the guidance documents um, just to make sure that they will certainly serve the industry's needs. Um, but you know, Paul hasn't heard anything, and uh, I don't assume that we will hear anything until you know we're all back from G2E at this point. Um, so yeah, crickets, crickets, exactly what I'm hearing as well. So, same for you, Chris. Yeah, uh, nothing for me, and I would presume it's going to take take some time. Like, there's more stakeholders to this than the operators who are doing the advertising, right? Um, the people who are now no longer allowed to make money off off being um, ambassadors, um, they, they have an interest in this, and I'm sure that their their folks are getting involved, um, TV stations, media companies, what have you. So there will be a lot of feedback coming from more than just the operators who have to decide who appears in their advertising. Um, so yeah, I can see this taking some time. And again, uh, my only hope is that it's a collaborative process and, and uh, we get to a, a fair spot where we need to be. And like Amanda said, that we're really addressing the, the actual issues at play. Um, let's move over to uh, the, the lead item in, in the latest newsletter, and that's uh, at a chance on Tuesday afternoon to, to listen in on a Sports Business Journal live event uh, that Alex Silverman, one of the reporters there, hosted and, and featured uh, Kyle McMahon, the, uh, uh, the Senior Vice President of Business Development for the National Hike League, and, and Jim Vanstone, who's the uh, chief commercial officer for Mon- Monumental Sports and Entertainment, which owned the uh, the Washington Wizards and the Washington Capitals. And as I think, Amanda, as I mentioned, you in an email exchange uh, earlier today. I mean, uh, you know, Kyle, I, I did have a chance to ask Kyle about about sports betting and 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 the what's going on with the NHL in Canada and. Um, not surprisingly, he didn't get into a lot of nitty nitty gritty, and you know I mentioned that the 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 right the AGCO regulations and and uh, you know said that the the league is listening to to regulators and and fans and on on the product side the league does have Sport Radar as its official data partner and it, it continues again to to look for new ways to to integrate uh, integrate data and analytics and. Um, into into sports betting products and and that just uh, maybe ask Amanda like have you heard anything at all about any involvement from the NHL talking to the AGCO are they reaching out to operators anything anything new on that front no uh again I was chatting with Paul and I know that there has been uh a desire to bring you know as we've talked about for the large stakeholder group to the table So the broadcasters, the league operators, you know, like they're all kind of, you know, part of this. Um, So I know Paul's been in touch with all of them. Um, They've indicated a willingness to come. Um, But so far, again, Karen just started. Um, So it's not going to be the, you know, probably the top issue she has to deal with. We always have to keep in mind that she's got cannabis, horse racing and liquor as well under her purview. We're not the only industry. Um, so, uh, I expect, and I hope that as we get further into the fall, um, we'll hear a little bit more about that because, you know, the, the challenge too is like, you know, we've had now a full year of, of this under our belts of the advertising of the 
you know, audience reaction to it and all the rest of it, the media attention. So, you know, the hope is if we're looking to tweak some things to make it more palatable to a more generic audience, because whoever is watching a hockey game is not always going to be someone who is who's a, a sports better um then i hope you know some of these decisions can get made collaboratively because you know we know the broadcasters are relying on the advertising revenue we know that the you know operators have signed deals to be able to get their content on the broadcasters but you know i personally do not want to go through another season of the kind of media backlash you know public backlash, misinformation that was getting spread around um, about our industry because it, it, it tars and feathers all of us and it drags us all down, even if we're not paying the big bucks to, to do those kinds of ads. So yeah, um, I, I think it's something that we're still going to be waiting a little bit on, just as I said, given Karen's just started her job. Hey, Chris, are you hearing, hearing anything out there? No, I mean, my, my dealings with the NHL have been um you know good uh, the team over there is, is their business development team is is on the ball but right now they're they're accepting um authorized gaming partners um to the league which they've probably got in north america seven eight right now between canada and the u.s as authorized gaming partners but there's also no um requirement that you're an authorized gaming partner to advertise around the games um you know in in tv commercial spots and such so um, you know, they're, they're doing what they have to do to, to generate revenue. Also, I think when it comes to the, you know, the compliance part of it, 75% of their teams are located in the United States. Um, so that's where most of their effort is going to be focused. Um, there's nothing for them to really change or, or do differently right now in Canada. And I think, you know, to Amanda was going down this road that if there's not some sort of indication that something will be different this season, then we're going to get the same discourse um, from the general public that we that we got last year. So I think that's a negative for our for our industry here in Ontario and in Canada. So I, I, I hope that we can get some sort of guardrails in place. And this goes back to the advertising um, standards that that we talked about, right? I think that whether or not Connor McDavid is advertising on my screen, it's the amount of Connor McDavid or people like him or brands that are are um, spending the money to buy the advertising that is off-putting. I don't think McDavid showing up, you know, once per period, for example, uh, and maybe another brand doing it is is going to cause the same commotion as two or three gaming spots per break and then all over the broadcast. That's what people don't like. It's not, in my estimation, I don't think it's the fact that uh, actual athletes were were the spokespeople, it was the, the frequency and the amount. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, uh, Chris. And I think it also ties in when we're watching a game on TV, you, you see the uh, sportsbook branding and in the arena, um, Kyle McMahon and, and Jim Vanstone both talked about the uh, the digital dashboards, which were a bit of a, a, a lightning rod last year. And, and um, Kyle did mention on the call too, is it the, the the league is making some tweaks to the uh, to the technology to make it a little bit user friendly to uh, to a viewer, but I I think just you know, it felt like overkill. I, you know, I want to get Mark Silver's thoughts on this as well because Mark has followed this issue uh, closely and and might also have some thoughts on the uh, on the sport radar and the and the data piece as well. 
Steve, I'm never going to blame the the NHL and their broadcast partners for going and seeking the, the max amount of money that they can get out of out of any category. From what I'm hearing, there's going to be a little changing of the guard in the Canadian broadcast uh, with Sportsnet around the, uh, the the betting partner. And if it becomes a a partner who is more endemic to Canada and is not a global brand or a North American brand, then you, you just have to ask yourself about what it, what is the price point that you know that brand is willing to pay for for what is really the the, the last kind of must watch property that has that kind of a volume and there's a premium on that there's nothing that the regulator can do to stop that that's just the market conditions and you know, what is someone willing to pay to reach that audience and as long as there is silly money out there trying to reach that audience at the top of the funnel at the awareness level, which is what broadcast still continues to do. There's absolutely no stopping this. I'm, I'm with Chris and Amanda on hopefully uh, the backlash is not there uh, because maybe the public has just accepted it is what it is, but don't think for a second that, you know, outside of the people who listen to the gaming news Canada show and follow the newsletter, Steve, that anyone really has any clue about the marketing rules just affecting the province of Ontario and that Canadians don't understand the difference between, you know, watching a national broadcast and watching a regional broadcast. Nobody understands that. Nobody cares. I'm talking about the general public. So it really just comes down to individual choice and preferences and decisions that we make. And uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of people just aren't going to speak up. There are things happening in our country right now, which are much worse than betting that affect the greater population that are not limited to the AGCO's purview and nothing's happening there. So why are we going to expect things to change around sports betting? Just because there's a, some uproar. People don't like the celebrities being in the content. It brings up Amanda for a point for me, just, you know, again, I read uh, one of the, one of the uh, stories we had in the stateside stories section of the newsletter, latest newsletter is uh Kansas bringing in $7 million in tax revenue in the first year, which is a pittance of what, what we've seen in Ontario uh, with the tax revenue that's been delivered from, you know, 16, 17 months of regulated gaming now. And, and it just seems if provincial government, as we know, is facing, is putting a lot of fires right now that actually being able to show where that money is gone, if, if they're able to do that, that that would be, that might be a good story to tell. Well, from your lips to someone's ears, Steve, we've been saying for more than a year that it kind of behooves the government to tell us what they're doing with the money. Um, operators were just handed their, you know, semi-annual recovery fee bill from the AGCO. So that will tally up to several millions of dollars that's going over. And we don't know what they're doing with that either. So, you know, uh, I, in an ideal world, there would be a lot more transparency when you're asking operators to fork over money to, you know, pay for things that aren't explained. There, you know, be at least a kind of semi-detailed, you know, bulleted list <laughs> to tell you where your money is going towards. And, you know, same for the province. Like, wh where is that, you know, out of the percentage that IGO is sending over out of the weekly GGR we're remitting? Like, what is the province doing with the money? So, yeah, it's been something that's been suggested since the actually before the market opened, but I guess no one is, no one's listening. 
hey, Chris, I did. Uh, it did seem to me having watched the Blue Jays broadcast uh, in their in their brief uh, their brief appearance in the playoffs, and we we could do a whole other show about that, but we won't we won't do so today here. Um, it did seem there was a very light touch around sports betting, and unless I I missed it in a pregame show, um, I I didn't see any references to betting from what I saw from the two broadcasts in in the Twins. Uh, Blue Jays series, and you know, again, not not pointing the finger at, at uh, Cabral Richards, but I haven't seen Cavi on Sportsnet for quite a while now. Um, we also know that Andy McNeil, who who did appear on on the betting segments during the playoffs for Hockey Night Canada, and Andy's moved on, and he's uh, he's joined the uh, the Canadian bet- betting network and is doing a, a daily a daily NHL show there this year. That's that's a company that uh, is owned by Better Collective. Um, do you think those are maybe signs that, that there is a bit of a pullback by, by Rogers and, and they're kind of, you know, they're, they're listening to the, to what's out there in the marketplace. Um, it's interesting you bring up the Jays because I do need to finish up. I need to split the rest of my day picketing the Rogers center and, uh, at Jarvis and Bloor <laughs> due to the, I put out a tweet yesterday that said, I can't wait for them to pull Barrios after 65 pitches. And it turned out I was, uh, I You're was like 20. Sh- yeah, yeah, you're, you're right? 20 over sure. there. Uh, ah. I, uh, I listen. Everyone will say you can't win if you don't score runs, but man, oh man, there's there's a, a lot of dysfunction going on there. Anyhow, uh, if you want if you want my my feelings on that at real Chris Abbott on Twitter, but um, yeah, to that point, I don't know, right? Because their broadcast sponsor is Bet Three Six Five, and I I don't know if it's that you know for the playoffs they didn't have. Um, you know, integrations planned or what have you. I also don't know for sure that Sportsnet knew they were going to be carrying their their own broadcasts. It seemed to me like a and, and I don't know. I'm totally guessing here, but it seemed to me it was a late kind of announcement that oh hey the local crew is going to be able to broadcast all the Jays playoff games. I don't know how early that decision was made. It might have been made long ago, but it seemed a little bit to me that we were gearing up for the usual TBS. Uh, um, Fox ESPN coverage of the playoffs, and then we were able to get the the Sportsnet crew. So it could be it could be a situation where um, you know there was just nothing planned there. Um, but I don't think we're going to see a major pullback. I do think we'll see some changes. I think um, I'm sure the folks at Hockey Night in Canada got a lot of feedback about their NHL broadcast last year and the amount of betting content. So I guess if we wait a week, we'll be able to to have a better idea about what's going to happen there. But I don't know that um, I don't know that it was a conscious decision to pull back, but um, during the during the games this year for the Blue Jays, there was you know it was the Bet Three Sixty Five. I think they called it the Big Board, and it was more about out of town scores and things like right. that. So I didn't feel that the betting integration was a huge part of the Blue Jays broadcast most of the year, anyhow. Yeah, certainly compared with the NHL, but not night night and day for for sure, Chris. I would agree with that. Um, it just kind of getting back to the NHL before we wrap up here. Um, Amanda, the one one of the most interesting uh, comments that came out of the SBG Live uh, event on Tuesday was was Jim Van Stone from the uh, from Monumental talking about Caesar Sportsbooks at the Capital One Arena and and how uh, you know the the quote he had was uh, in our building connectivity is crucial. Um, Caesar's has transformed has transformed the experience for people coming into our building. A retail sports book is part of the overall DNA, and they make sure sports venues come alive 365 days of, of the year. 
um, you know, we've dedicated a fair bit of airspace in this form to talking about, um, you know, the lack of retail sports books in, in Ontario and in, in this regulated marketplace. And I just that 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 quote from Van Stone really, really struck a chord with me as we you know sit here now, we're uh, moving on two years in, in Ontario and, and still not uh, not one not one sports book branded Brooks and Mortar sports book in the province. Um, yeah, that's still OLG. And I, you know, if that's something that you live in a community with a land-based casino and you would really like a, a sports book, a, a retail location opened up, um, I suggest writing your local MPP um, and asking them why OLG isn't allowing them to be built with third-party partnerships, which in the past has been a preferred way of doing things because you bring in the expertise and the financing from the private sector and you partner with, you know, the Crown Corporation and you get things done. Um, OLG has blocked it because of, uh, I can't even go into it, um, mis misconceptions about how this industry works and the unfair competitive advantage it would potentially give the, uh, the third party that was coming in. Um, and this is where we find ourselves. So I think it's a disgrace. I think it's unfortunate for the land-based casinos. I think it's unfortunate for the revenue and the employment opportunities that would have been generated. And yeah, go go ask your MPP to uh, to start knocking on Duncan Honey's door and asking him why they're still continuing to disallow any sort of public-private partnerships to, to get these things done. Yeah, and Chris, I should clarify too. When when I mean bricks and more sports books, I mean in, in sports ven sports venues across uh, across the province. So, did you want to piggyback on Amanda's thoughts? Well, in sports venues in particular, I mean that's a whole zoning and licensing issue that would have to be taken up as well. So you know, well, it, you'd that, still be a partner with OLG. Remember, if it applies, OLG would still be your operating partner if you yep. want to put anything in like the Rogers Center or Scotiabank Arena or Real Sports, you're still partnering with OLG on that. Yeah, absolutely. As are, you know, all the, all the land-based, right? So that's, um, that's a big part of it. I know that uh, there's also the business case to be made about is operating a physical sports book at a smaller scale really worth the time and resources because the amount of people that are being driven to place their wagers online um, you know, there's plenty of sports books um, around the United States that have had seen a decline. They also see less, less, you know, ticket counter traffic and more kiosks. Uh, the operators want more kiosks because they don't have to pay the kiosk salary. Uh, so there's those considerations as well. And I think just in Canada in general, we are very, very hesitant to allow people to do fun things. Right. There's no tailgating because you can't get a permit to drink outside the arena. And now we're going to put gambling inside the arena. I just don't you know, we're a little bit more conservative when it comes to to that. Not politically conservative, but just um, societally conservative when it comes to allowing our our people to have fun. Uh, so then, you know, your permits and licenses and you can do this, but you can't do that. Maybe you can have a sports book, but you're not allowed to have a drink in there and these kind of things. So it's um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't hold my breath, but I look forward to the time where we can progress to that. I want to want to end the uh, the show here, and again, you, you may not have an answer here, but I, I did find you know another story that came out this week that was of interest to me was U.S. Integrity and Odds on Compliance announcing their their merger. And um, if you read the newsletter at all, I mean, U.S. Integrity they they've had a partnership deal announcement. It seems like every week now for since June. Um, 
getting together with often with the NCAA programs. Those two companies came together recently to introduce their, their ProAbet uh, initiative. And I, I just wonder, something where, you know, I, I did reach out to the Canadian Centre for Ethics and Sports, Amanda, this summer and, and to see if they were ready to take on a, a bigger role around integrity and in sport in this country. And, and uh, they, they were kind of reluctant to say too much at, at, at the time. And I've ha- I have had people tell me that they are, they are making a push to get some funding from the government so they can, they can offer more robust services. And we do know they had a symposium in May and that they, they do have a little bit of, of uh, funding coming from, uh, uh, coming a few, from a few different businesses to help with that. But um are you surprised that maybe there hasn't been more done in this country or is the U.S. just a whole lot bigger animals, especially because of U.S. college sports? Well, I'll start and then I'll pass it to Chris. I mean, the U.S. college sport ecosystem is a, an animal unto itself. I, what we right. have in Canada does not compare at all. Um, but that being said, I know from my own conversations with Jason Foley Train. Um, they have received some funding from a handful of operators and the hope was to develop uh, sort of training programs for pro athletes. So they have had um, interest from the CFL, but it, it, it's kind of, you know, it, it's not just, you know, an organization like the this um, Canadian Centre for Ethics and Sports wanting to do this. You know, you have to get leagues that are interested in offering this training and this education for their athletes. Um, and it would be great if governments would also step up and say, you know, as as part of legalizing single event sports betting, as trying to really crack down on match manipulation and match, match fixing, you know, the number one most important thing we can do for any athlete, amateur or professional in this, in this country is educate them on this. So again, we've got other priorities that probably, you know, this is way bottom on the pile, but that would, that is CCE's ES's hope is that we can actually bump this up to be uh, at the national level of, of agreement and discourse. Um, but, you know, again, that's going to be a bit of a slow moving thing, um, but at least the CFL is interested. And if we can roll it out with the CFL and it's successful, then hopefully Tennis Canada, some of the junior hockey leagues, you know, soccer leagues and all the rest of them can follow. Yeah. And also worth mentioning, Amanda, that we're less than a year away from the Summer Olympics. So you're going to have athletes that are competing in different sports who are, you know, are going to be, be bet on them. Um, not not just in Canada, but other jurisdictions as well. Uh, Chris, last word to you. Yeah, I mean, um, just the, on U.S. integrity, I've had the ability, or not the ability, I've had the opportunity to go through their product um, um, on a number of different occasions, and they, they offer something really good to betting operators, and they, they bring the whole kind of ecosystem together between teams and governments and, and betting operators. So they have a good product there, and and uh, yeah, they, they certainly do announce a lot of partnerships, um, um, but that's a good thing because I think they're, what they're doing there is, is, um, is very unique. When it comes to kind of the integrity piece for Canada, for athletes and teams um, and governments even, I mean, for a long time, single event sports betting operated in the, in the shadows here. Okay, the well-lit shadows here, but it wasn't as nearly as widespread as it is right now. So... I'm not saying that this is a new thing, but it's it's got a new spotlight on it, and you know it would be um, a positive step uh, to increase funding for the Canadian Center of Ethics and Sports. Somebody has to kind of own this process. 
Um, but when I, so that's from, a you know, an athlete team official type um, point of view. And then when it comes to the gambling operators, they've already got their integrity pieces in check. Um, you can never be perfect. You can always get better. But um, I think people would be a little bit surprised to know how um, most regulated sports books operate and, and the checks and balances that they have when it comes to uh, the integrity piece. So, um, yeah, I mean, we can always be better uh, on both sides, but, um, but it's always uh, it's, it's an important conversation. Sorry, and I misspoke earlier. Um, it's IBEA, International Betting Integrity Association. They were the first integrity monitor to get licensed um, or have a mem- memorandum of understanding with the EGCO. Um, so they're the ones working with the CCES on this training program for the CFL. Great. Thanks for clarifying that, Amanda. Uh, listen, terrific uh, show this week. Uh, so so great, Amanda. We're from, from Kinder Group and, and Chris Abbott to have both of you uh, back. Um, thanks as always for, for all of your uh, for all of your insight and, and uh, opinions and the information that you you share with our audience. And uh, yes, I'm I am excited about uh, about seeing both of you next week. So Wish you uh, wish you both safe travels to to Vegas, and we'll we'll see you Monday. That wraps up another edition of the Gaming News Canada Show, presented by Osler Hoskin and Harcourt LLP. Uh, thanks for the audience for joining us today. You can find the podcast on GamingNewsCanada.ca and also the various podcast platforms. Uh, we are heading into a Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada, so for the Canadian listeners to the podcast. Uh, every everyone just have a wonderful weekend. Be uh, be safe. Be healthy. If you're uh, if you're enjoying some food and beverage on on the Thanksgiving weekend, please uh, please don't drink and drive if you've had a, a bit too much to drink. And we will uh, be doing some interviews next week from G2E. So we will uh, we're we're hoping to turn some of those interviews into a, into a podcast. Uh, we won't do LinkedIn audio next week as we'll be flying back from Vegas. So we will see you in, in two weeks' time. Thanks again, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.